Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I'm Layla London, aka The Curious Girl. Now, just to let you know, this podcast is not suitable for work. It's also not suitable for anybody under 18. But the rest of you consenting adults, let's get ready to talk about my sex life, sex in general, and everything in between in explicit, raunchy, fun detail. All right, here we go. It is a Curious Girl Diaries podcast. In case you're new, uh, if you don't want to hear about sex, you should probably drop off now before we get going. One of the main reasons men are in relationships is because of rejection, yes. fear of rejection. I love data. Data gets me wet. There's some phenomenal research that's been done around attachment style and sex. Let's just get down to business. Let's fuck and then I will go. But he wasn't putting up with that. I started to ask myself, can I have multiple attachment style personality disorder? Maybe this is why I could not, for the life of me, get into BDSM with anybody else. Hey everyone, welcome to the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. I am Layla. Happy Saturday, guys. Okay, I'm super excited to do this today. I am doing something completely new, something I have never, ever, ever done on the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. It is a Curious Girl Diaries podcast. First, I am sharing clips of an episode that I heard on the Diary of a CEO podcast on YouTube. And this is between Stephen Bartlett, who is the host, and Paul Brunson. I will include a link to the full video in the show notes. But I took some clips from this particular interview. It's a long interview. It's about two hours or so. But I found, these were the ones that I found particularly interesting. There was a, there's a lot interesting about this whole thing. I could have just played the whole thing and commented on it, but I'm going to save you from that. But I did, you know, pull, like I said, a few interesting clips out. And some of those include their take on why 80% of marriages are unsatisfied, why men are struggling. And this is my favorite, attachment styles as it relates to sex patterns and orgasms. Yes, I can't wait to dive into that. Okay, so today is going to be fun. I get to scratch off some of my favorite topics, obviously, trying to better understand relationships, understanding men better, sex and orgasms. Like I said, guys, don't hesitate to listen to the full episode. It's a really good one. And follow up with me on your thoughts. I'd love just to hear what you thought about me doing this type of a podcast version where I'm taking clips. I mean, I can pull, there's so much crazy stuff I can pull off the internet and comment on. Holy shit. I could probably do an episode a day just like that, especially when it comes to sexual stuff. You guys know we are going to, this is the Curious Girl Diaries podcast. We will be talking about sex. Hello. In case you're new, uh, if you don't want to hear about sex, you should probably drop off now before we get going. But again, guys, I really would love your feedback on the style of the episode and also just weigh in on your thoughts as I go along and I'm com commenting on what they're saying, especially the man stuff. I just want to hear everybody's point of view. Uh, well, heck, all of it. I mean, it's going to be quite interesting. So don't be shy, guys. Super easy to get a hold of me. You can email me, curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com. Or you can go to my website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com, and you can hit the contact me button, send me an email that way. But my favorite thing, guys, is when you're on the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com, you can send me a voicemail. 
I love to exchange voicemails with you. So any input you want to give me on this episode or thoughts that it generates, feedback you want to give, I am more than happy to listen and respond to you personally. Guys, if speaking of voicemails, if you have not heard back from me on a voicemail, do not worry. I am devoting a lot of hours to dig my way out of the voicemail heap over the weekend. Okay. So if you haven't heard from me, it's legit. Don't panic. If you've checked your spam folder and there's not a return voicemail, it's because I haven't gotten to it yet. Sorry, but I'm working on those this weekend and I can't wait to go through them and see what juicy subjects I get to talk about with you guys. Okay. Now let's jump into this first clip, which is why men are struggling. Okay, here it is. Struggling, it seems. Yeah, I think, you know, when, the more and more I talk on this show about dating apps and what it's like to be a man in this dating climate, especially one that's become more digitalized than ever before, the conversation always emerges in the, in the, in the com- sort of like the comment sections and stuff about men's struggles here. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, these dating apps, they seem to be not well designed for the like, bottom 50% of men. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What is what, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. You know, what I like about the conversation today is we're finally acknowledging, it's, it's, it's okay to acknowledge that, you know, men are getting crapped on. You know, I, I feel like just a year ago, if you said that, oh no, what are you talking about? You know, we're still in the patriarchy. You can't, no, men are struggling. High suicide rates, highest levels of loneliness, highest issues around mental health. Men are struggling. And the fact that we can just talk about that and all acknowledge, okay, let's figure out how to deal with this is a good place to begin. Right. But, but, but now we, now we have to begin, you know, it begins with the awareness and talking about it. It extends into creating safe spaces for men to be able to talk. I love that what you see now is you see these podcast communities um, creating these spaces where men feel like they can be acknowledged and seen. And that allows for there to be connection with other men going through those same challenges, which creates camaraderie and helps you to, uh, to, to break out of that loneliness. So, so, so we're, we're, we're on the path, uh, but we have to acknowledge some of those larger trends that we see. I know Richard Reeves, uh, talks about this quite a bit. Phenomenal book of boys and men where you can see uh, just the levels of unemployment, the lower levels of educational attainment uh, for, for men, the high levels of, uh, of drug usage, the high levels of what uh, Richard Reeves calls sedation, essentially, is uh, drug usage, uh, pornography watching, where uh, you have a large number of men just sedating themselves out of pain, right? Out of loneliness. And so I I think we're in a great place to begin working on the problem, but it's a hell of a problem. In your book on uh, page 72, it says that in the Tinder research, you found that one of the main reasons men aren't in relationships is because of rejection. Yes. Fear of rejection. Yes. Number one. And, And many people would laugh at that. They'll laugh at that stat. What? Men walk up to me all the time. So how is it that men are fearful of rejection? But the fact of the matter is that the majority of men report the number one reason why they believe they can't find a significant other is the fear of being rejected. Think about that. And that's not just in person. 
That's online feeling as if you were going to deny me, you were going to reject me. And to me, that speaks to self-esteem. To me, that speaks to self-love. To me, that speaks to self-worth. And so therefore, we have to really evaluate the, the, the why. The, the why, why is that? You know, but I, I think this is such an important point. And this is why we have to look back. Let's look at history. Why is it the case that the Calvin Klein model, or why is it the case that the higher status person gets more interaction? If you think back to pragmatic, right? If you were a woman, what did you need to survive? Uh, I needed a mate that would protect me. Exactly. Now, the protection would come in one of two things. And I say that because at some point I'm going to be eight and a half months pregnant. And I, I ain't going to be able to hunt no, you know, or forage or I don't know. Exactly. And so, so you need to have the protection. And the protection came in, in one of two ways. One, physicality, mm -hmm. right? So it was just strong and fight. But the other was high social status. Resources, which would bring resources. Which, which would bring resources. And therefore, you know, you'd have the protection because of that. So how long did that continue? Yeah, most of human history. Most of human history. So we have, through evolution, this has been indoctrinated into our into our system. And what is rarely talked about is, so, you know, there were millions of men throughout history who were not the Calvin Klein, not the biggest, didn't have the social status. So what happened to them in history? Do you know what happened to them? Most of them? They were the ones sent to war. These were the men fighting for whatever country, the, the, these were the men. When you when you watch Napoleon, and you see, oh my God, the Battle of Waterloo, you had tens of thousands of people. Who's dying? It's those men. It's not the high status, status men. It's not. It's not the Calvin Klein looking right. It's those men were dying, and we've reached a point in society where we're no longer fighting wars like that. We're fighting with drones and missiles. You have millions upon millions upon millions of men sitting there saying, okay, now what about me? What about me? And this is the problem. This is where we are. All right, guys. Well, I've got lots of questions, comments about that whole thing. Okay. First of all, is it okay to acknowledge this when we couldn't a year ago? Or is it still a little bit, you know, I guess, taboo? I think he's right about the fact that a year ago, you really weren't able to talk about this stuff. It was still, oh, the patriarchy and men are bad. And I'm sure there's still a lot of that going on. But I do think the tide's turning on that. And now guys can talk about things differently, a little more openly and honestly. I was curious about when he said that men need safe spaces to talk. I mean... Do they need those guys? I don't know. This, I, I guess there's something, this is going to sound awful, but I'm just going to, it's just being truthful. When he says safe spaces to talk, there's something about that to me that sounds demasculating, I guess, for lack of a better term. Did anybody else feel like that? Was I squirming in my seat? Is that just my own bullshit? Am I part of the problem that I'm so expecting men to always be men that they can't have feelings? I definitely believe I was in that camp when I started this show, not that they couldn't have feelings, not that I didn't think they had feelings. I just really thought they were a fraction of what we have as women. But I, I know that men have feelings, very deep feelings. And don't worry, I, I hit the curve on that one. But 
do they feel like they need safe spaces? If you guys, you know, I've ever watched any of the red pill stuff. Those guys are very comfortable in that safe space. <laughs> they're, they, it seems to me they're feeling very safe in their spaces and with their opinions. And I, while I do agree with a lot of that stuff, I've cautioned against it on episodes in the past because to me, I see just a rerun of the feminism playbook, which is what kind of got us here in the first place. If you follow the thinking in the path of the red pillars, they're sort of completing the loop. They're like, well, they did it. So now we're going to go do it. I just caution against that getting too extreme. I think it's good to acknowledge what's going on and what we can do about it. But, you know, trying to solve it the same way that got us into this mess doesn't seem very smart to me. Just my opinion, guys. Now, are men sedating more? Well, I would agree with that because I think women are sedating more. Women are sedating through social media and it fucks with us. It fucks with our heads. It makes us want to spend money that we shouldn't be spending. It makes us base our self-worth on what body type we now need to morph into plastic surgery wise, what product we have to buy. I think it wrecks with young women's minds and I'm just not a big, I'm not a big supporter of social media, Uh, but I do believe porn social media equivalent for men about what's, you know, that the internet's brought to us that, you know, is hurtful to the sexes. I don't, I think porn is definitely not the best for the guys can get addicted to it. And they're probably isolating more than ever. Some guys like to be alone. Fuck it. I like to be alone. That's I I'm guilty of the isolation, (laughs) but it's enjoyed isolation guys. Don't you just love your solitude? Oh my God. I love it. But that's a bad thing. I mean, you know, on some, on some levels, that's a bad thing because I can isolate myself so much. I won't have sex for three and a half years. I don't want to date anybody. I mean, this is ultimately bad stuff. And of course, drugs, which I think is equal opportunity unscrews with us. Let's see the next point, that Tinder research, which gosh, I would love to get my hands on that Tinder research. How fascinating is that? I got to research where I can find my Tinder research. If anybody can direct me to whatever he's referencing, I love data. Data gets me wet. Are men not in relationships because they're fear of rejection? That's, is that the number one reason men cite for not being in relationships? I'm fascinated by that. Guys, I know there's a lot of guys that listen to this show. You guys got to chime in on this. I need to know. This is, this is actually a burning question. Is, is that really true? Because my image of men, and again, I am open to being wrong, have been, will be again, but my image of men is that they're coming at you all the time. That doesn't seem fearless. I mean, yes, granted, some of it's just like a keyboard warrior. And it's probably the reason why a lot of guys will scroll through, scroll through these apps and just like, 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 like everybody waiting for someone to then respond to them. And then they'll take a closer look and see if they like you or not would sort of explain why I'm always complaining about guys. Doesn't seem like guys read the profile, but yeah. Is that driven by fear? I'm just fascinated by that. I would really love to know more about that. All right. I also find the points on women choosing for protection really, really interesting. Not that 
I don't choose for protection. Of course I do. Absolutely. I've talked about that so much. Yeah, I want a man that can protect me. But I never considered it in the resources way as well as the physicality. When I was younger, I didn't look at physicality. I was attracted to physicality. But when I was younger, if I'm being honest, I was more attracted to resources. That's why I liked older, powerful men in my 20s. Just liked them a whole heck of a lot. (laughs) That's where I got my definition of protection was through resources. Now, this is we could probably relate that to my childhood. My dad is a very physical guy, great shape, great body. By the way, it's kind of gross, but I definitely notice I tend to be attracted to guys who have bodies like my dad's. (laughs) And I'll bet you if you lined up some weird facial anagram, there's probably similar distances between nose to eyeball. There's probably some sort of symmetrical similarities. Not that they look like my dad. I've never ever dated anybody that looks like my dad, but I do sort of see... I kind of like guys with the same body type and just so happens it's my dad's, but I also have friends, same thing. When I look at the guys that they go with, it's the, they have the bodies of their dads. I'm going to freak myself out, but it's true. Okay. Does anybody else notice that? I'm curious. You guys got to chime in on that one. But so when I was younger, I looked towards the resources and it was more of my draw for the way my mind calculated protection. And now that I'm older, I would say I lean more to physicality because I'm secure in my resources, my own resources. And so it's kind of an interesting, interesting switch. But I guess if you look at it this way, you've either got to be rich or strong, <laughs> preferably both. <laughs> I think I think he's dead on on this one. What do you guys think? All right. I, I want your voicemails. I want your emails. Okay, guys. So this next clip is about attachment styles as it relates to the quality of our sex acts and also just our orgasms, which of course, everybody knows I'm totally fascinated with orgasms. So sometimes I'm down with the attachment styles theory and all that. But then other times I just think it's a bunch of psycho babble bullshit to sell books. But in this instance, I got to tell you, this clip got my attention big time. And I'm really fascinated by what style uh, attacher, I guess, it makes me. Do you guys have any guesses on what my attachment style is and how that would fall into why I'm able to be multi-orgasmic with so many different partners. I'm curious to know what your thoughts are on that, but let's jump into it and then I'll comment after. We just pick the one we are and then it gives us all the answers. That makes life much easier than the complexity of the truth. Yes. So let's preach. Not, let's not burst the illusion, Paul. <laughs> we like Lee. <laughs> but it's, I think, yeah, I, I relate most to this idea of being the anxious, preoccupied one who probably wouldn't care when they came back in the room. Sorry, no, I got that wrong. Yeah, you, you're avoidant. Yes, I'm avoidant. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, but you know, it's interesting. Okay. You know what? Um, well, since we're on attachments, I, I've got to go here. Is there's some phenomenal research that's been done around attachment style and sex. Right. You ready for Cut this? the cameras a second. 
Cut the cameras, Joe. Are they off? They're off? Okay. Okay, go ahead. Yeah, this this, this is some phenomenal research that, 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 that blows my mind. So um, these researchers looked at the number of orgasms that people have based on their attachment style and the type of sexual interaction it is. So a one-night stand, you could probably guess this, a one-night stand or... Um, uh, a, a one night, or let's say a one night stand or casual sex. If you are secure or you are anxious, you despise that. The, the data showed that the percentage of people who had orgasms in one night stands or casual sex was substantially low. If they were, uh... if they were secure or anxious, but if they were avoidant off the charts, why? Is because the avoidance were like, oh man, I don't, I don't want the, the, the emotional connection to it, right? And I, and I think it's just important to see, okay, well, attachment styles, they, it does play into how we interact and why. But when you understand who you are, you could begin to, to shift those patterns. I'm sure a lot of people can relate in various ways. So you're saying that you're much less likely to have an orgasm on a one night stand if you are a needy or a secure because you just won't it won't be connecting with you you won't be as able to be psychologically safe in that context a absolutely just as an avoidant has less number of orgasms in a friends with benefits scenario why because you have to give up some emotional intimacy as an avoidant in a friends with benefits situation Right. And whereas secure would have a slightly higher than they would with, with a one night stand. So all of this is really about all of this at the end of the day, it's about really knowing who you are and why you are knowing attachment style, knowing about your traumas in life, knowing about your triggers, knowing about how you communicate. When you know all of these things, you become a master of your environment. Marcus Garvey from Jamaica, right? Mm -hmm would always say become the the person who becomes a master of self becomes a master of their environment it always begins with self i've got to dig deeper on this point of sex because it made me ask the question that does that suggest avoidance in the bedroom will like a different type mm. of sex to a anxious like an avoidant might prefer a sex that is a little bit less intimate right if you know what i mean so uh I, i'm going to be assuming here yeah but i think this is a topic i, I need to study now i'm gonna yeah. do I, I think i'm gonna do a research study on this seriously yeah. is i'm willing to bet that an avoidant definitely has different sexual boundaries and different sexual interests than secure or anxious because ultimately what of what, what is driving the avoidant is saying, I don't want the emotional intimacy that comes with this event. So anything that's driving the emotional intimacy, I prefer not to have it, right? So I would, I would willing to bet avoid, it's like, let's not really talk. We don't need to talk, is it? Do we need to talk? No, we don't need to talk. We don't need to kiss. <laughs> no, that's kissing. No, that's, no, let's not kiss. Whereas I, I, I would willing to bet a secure wants and needs that it's a good stuff and anxious oh, oh i mean even more so an anxious probably needs two days of foreplay 
you know, before. And then uh, avoiding just one, say, transaction. Just wants a transaction, right? Let's make it efficient. Maybe that's part of the reason, you know, last time we spoke, I was speaking about different sex languages. The, the way I described it was figuring out that my girlfriend was speaking Spanish and I was speaking like French mm -hmm. in the bedroom. And we just needed to find a mutual language or I speak a little bit of French, she speaks a little bit of Spanish, whatever. This is a metaphor for different types of sort of sexual preference or fantasy or things that turn you on. But maybe that goes to explain why so many couples are struggling in the bedroom because one of them wants a certain type of sex and the other wants much more emotional sex. Yes, this is such an important topic because I think when you can see your partner through that lens. It's no longer, oh my God, can you believe it? He didn't even want to kiss me. Like he's a, he, he, you know, he, he's, he's, a this, he's, he's an asshole. But what it could be is that he is severely avoidant. This is what he learned from his parents. And these are behaviors that can change. So let's work on the behaviors. Like I, I, I rarely do we have bad people. Rarely. Yes, we, there's a whole cohort of, of, of the dark tetrad. There, there are bad people, but most people are good, but simply have bad behaviors. We can work on the behaviors. Or just different behaviors. Or different behaviors. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Different behaviors. I'm really just pondering this idea of these avoidance. Because I'm an avoidant and none of my fantasies, none of the things that really turn me on involve like... <laughs> talking and, <laughs> and, yeah. and like, you know, that like the, the things that you think of, which is all about like emotional connection and all that stuff. Those aren't the things that I, I hold as like fantasies, right? Those aren't the things. And I was thinking about how our fantasies are derived from our, much of our like trauma and our, our, our upbringing and our disconnection and our, you know, if you were, if you were bullied in school, yes. I, I see this a lot, actually. I remember it just took flat, my head flashbacks when I was 18 and I met a guy and one of his fantasies that he was very vocal about was because he, he was powerless when he was younger. He was powerless in school. And so he liked using terminology in the bedroom. I remember him saying this to me that made him feel empowered. Mm. And I remember thinking, what a fucking weirdo, like at the time. Yeah. Because it seemed a little bit sadistic, what he was saying. But to think that something that happens on the playground can translate right to the bedroom when you're 35 years old and the thing that gives you an erection is pretty pretty interesting. It's worth some further inspection. It, it, it is. I mean, how we, our experiences at home as we grew up, our experiences on the playground, our experiences with our first lovers, but even beyond that, the experiences that our great grandparents had, the wars that they were in, the Holocaust that they were in, the transatlantic slave trade that they were a part of, all of these intergenerational bits of trauma, right? All of these things shape how we show up. It shapes who you are today. It shapes who, who I am today. And that's why we have to go back and understand this and when you can understand that you can more fully appreciate your partner you know just like you're saying with your friend i th i think it, it's 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 so great because you're saying okay when i heard this that was it sounded crazy talk but now i understand so we could begin to dialogue about this you know? and it's a, and it's an interesting question whether 
his fetish is wrong and it needs fixing and it's like yuck or if it's just different mm -hmm. and i guess that comes down to whether it hurts anybody yeah i, I think guess that's, that's the key exactly all right so of course i found this extremely extremely fascinating this clip here gosh let's start with the one night stands or you know casual sex acts the avoidant the avoidant you know, during those interactions can have a lot of orgasms and they're off the charts. Yeah, I would agree. And so this is where I thought, holy shit, am I an avoidant? Okay. But hang, hang with me guys. Okay. And then your orgasms in one night stands or casual sex, if you're secure or anxious are low. Okay. I'm still following this vibe. I'm thinking this could be right. Now, if you guys think back in the beginning of the show, I was coming off of being completely avoidant, right? I mean, I was so avoidant. I had just avoided sex and intimacy altogether. And I liked it that way. I was perfectly happy with that until one day I woke up and said, this is bullshit. I got to stop this. But when I jumped into the dating pool and into my year of, you know, knocking things off my sex bucket list and doing my sexual exploration, I guess what I was saying is I'm just going to go wild and then I'll go back to my completely avoidant lifestyle and just sort of blend back into the background. No harm, no foul. Well, being in that, I guess, avoidant mode, if we're going, if we're going along with what they're saying here. Then I just moved into the dating avoidant mode. And so that was my attachment style, avoidant attachment style. And that's probably why I just, I didn't want the intimacy. I just wanted to fuck. You know, we, you've heard about Cowboy N and I laugh about this because he says, I was just trying to flee the scene all the time and which I was. And I didn't want to take the time to even have dinner with him and spend time. I really just wanted to show up, no eating, let's just get down to business, let's fuck, and then I will go. But he wasn't putting up with that. Now, I did get away with that with a lot of people, okay? But over time, maybe I became secure. And maybe Cowboy N is the one that forced me to become secure because he put his foot down on it. He wouldn't let me do this, the fucking run, just show show up get off and go. And so over time, I really started to see a contrast in the relationships that I was having with certain people versus him. And then I switched into more of a, um, I guess, do we call it secure? I guess secure, right? Secure attachment style, let's say. And I actually even did an episode once I kind of came to that realization back in 2017. And I think it was called Give Me Some Fucking Intimacy, Please. I don't know what, what number that is, but I don't, I think it'd be easy to find if you were interested in it. I finally just had kind of had enough of the real shallow, you know, dating in the shallow pool and not being kind of a real human being to the people I was, I was seeing. And it's interesting because if I'm going with this, with these two attachment styles, I can see how over time I've become, I can be secure with one person and then I can be avoidant with another. I can still do that. Like I can flow 
in and out of these attachment styles. And sometimes it, it works for me. I vacillate back and forth on it. And I think probably that might be, if I look back, that might be what's signaling the, the periods where I go through kind of burnout or the, you know, online dating fatigue, as I've tried to label it. It, it might be as I'm switching from the avoidant to the secure. Hell if I know, guys. I mean, I'm guessing at all of this. I'm literally talking off the top of my head, pulling this shit out of my ass. So if you guys agree or disagree, again, you've got to let me know because I'm super curious about all this stuff. Clearly, I don't know a lot about it. But, you know, as I listened to it, these were the thoughts that were going through my head. I'm like, huh, it's making me think about this. It's making me think about that. Now, he says, you know, an avoidant has less orgasms with a friends with benefit because you have to give up some of the intimacy. Yeah, I'm just, I'm trying to really think hard about that. The friends with benefits situations that I have, hmm, I guess you, do I have less orgasms? Maybe. There could be some truth to that. See, now I'm going to start counting. I usually don't pay attention to this stuff. I needed to start like a spreadsheet and, and start keeping track of this stuff. Or maybe I can, too bad there's not an app. How many orgasms that I can, or I had with each sex act. I, there might be guys, if there's one, point me in the right direction. If you can log the quality of your sex and put in details every time you have it. I do believe on your health app on Apple phones, you can put in around your period, you can add when you're tracking your cycle, you can add whether you had sex, it was unprotected, protected, all that stuff. You can log all that stuff. Not saying that I don't, not saying that I do, but maybe I can put a note in there, like how many orgasms I had. That would be quite interesting. Hmm. All right. I'll have to look into that. And then I could just do a whole episode about that. Okay. So but what I'm really wondering here, guys, is you know what popped into my head as I was listening to this part of the clip was when he's talking about friends with benefits and avoiding the intimacy and all this stuff. I started to ask myself, can I have multiple attachment style personality disorder? By the way, don't steal that. That is mine, my term, multiple attachment style personality disorder. <laughs> That's what I've got. I'm self-diagnosing it. Boom. There it is, guys. Tell me if you agree. Okay. Then we're getting into the really good stuff. Okay. I love how we're starting to get into the different styles of sex. Here we go. We're getting into kink. And I wonder if, you know, your attachment styles then also dictate the type of styles of sex you like based on that. There's probably some correlation, I would assume. And especially as it relates to BDSM. And so it's kind of strange because, okay, if I'm avoidant, why do I like BDSM so much? Because that is very personal and not avoidant. So that was a little confusing. Although maybe my multiple attachment style personality disorder is kicking in when I'm doing BDSM and I'm moving from the avoidant to the secure when I'm in the BDSM mode and arena. And that's why I like it. And maybe... Ding, ding, ding. Okay, here we go. I'm just live problem solving right now. Maybe this is why I could not, for the life of me, get into BDSM with anybody else other than Cowboy N. It just was a role play and I, it just didn't feel right. It's never felt right with anybody else but him, that type of stuff. And I couldn't figure it out. 
And maybe this is why, maybe because in order for me to truly experience that, I have to be in a secure mode, a secure attachment mo- style. <laughs> Trying to use the proper terminology here, guys. I don't throw these words around very often. I don't think of my sex life and the way I really relate to people under this context. So bear with me. It's all new for me. But I can't experience BDSM on a casual level. And obviously my connection with Cowboy N is very, very deep and it's secure and I trust him and it's really fun. Now, I don't know whether your fantasies are derived from trauma and upbringing and disconnection. I mean, that's pretty deep. So I'm going to have to think about that. But I guess if I had to play around with that principle, I might be able to say something like, I wasn't spanked enough as a child. I often joke on the podcast about that. My problem is I just wasn't spanked enough. People complain about, my parents spanked me growing up. I can say, hey, I wasn't spanked enough. And I do love it when I'm spanked or disciplined by partners, especially during BDSM, let's say. And I will do things that I will provoke a response to get spanked or disciplined because I like it. And so maybe not getting enough of it as a child, maybe I translated that into you weren't paying enough attention to me ultimately. And I wanted attention. And I know I definitely, I definitely do like to poke the bear or stick my hand on the hot stove when I'm told not to, because I like the attention, even if it's negative attention. I like him paying attention to me. I like him taking the time. It feels like you're taking the time and effort and energy. And I have that from you focused on me, even though there's a sting and there's a, there's the punishment isn't going to be fun but I'm still going to like it. I'll complain about it and pretend like I don't. And sometimes I don't, but deep down, I really kind of (laughs) do. Except there's a caveat to this childhood parallel I'm drawing here. It was back in the day, you know, if you're playing with the neighbor kids or you're over at your friend's house, their parent had the right to spank you or discipline you in any way that they deemed whatever type of punishment went on in their household, you were subject to those rules. And parents didn't push back on that back then. And I'll tell you what, my fucking neighbor's dad, he used to spank us all the time. It seemed like we were always getting into some kind of trouble. And I remember him, he used to say, now this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Fucking bullshit. The hell it did. No, I was crying. It hurt. That being spanked by him was no fun. I did not like that. And that was not any kind of heat I wanted brought down on me. So if if there's anyone out there that still says that stupid bullshit to their kids, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. Don't even like, that is the dumbest thing. Talk about creating a trauma. That statement right there is traumatizing. You are traumatizing your children. They're going to turn into sexual deviants. Just spank them. You know, they don't need to have a whole sermon on the mount about why they're being spanked and how this isn't going to hurt as much as it hurts you. Come on. Everyone knows that's bullshit. All right. But I'm I'm at a loss to think about anything that happened to me, let's say on the playground that translates into the bedroom. I mean, I guess the closest thing that I can come up with is some type of maybe naughty professor role play. You know, that would, that's about as far as I can get into the, the schoolhouse traumas slash fantasies 
that come to mind right now. But hey, if you guys have any more in mind, you can definitely, definitely leave me emails about them. Shoot me some voicemails on my website. I love your feedback. Okay, now let's get into this last and final clip. This is about why 80% of marriages are stating they're unsatisfactory. And then 20% conversely, right, are saying that they're super satisfied. Now, this kind of makes sense. We all know about Pareto's law. It's the 80-20 rule. And we see that in action in all kinds of data and statistics. But let's take a listen about this subject. And I will do my final comments at the end. Look at traditional marriage now, outside of arranged marriages. Right now, this is Eli Finkel research. 80% of current marriages are more dissatisfied than they ever have been, ever. And 20% are more satisfied than they, than they ever have been. Now, now, why is that? It's because of what we were talking about previously. And that is, is that we now want so much more from our partner. We, we want our partner to be our best friend, our lover, our co-CEO, uh, our running buddy, our therapist, you know, our therapist right? spiritual leader, spiritual leader <laughs> our Netflix and chill buddy. Like we, we want all of this now out of our partner. And so what many people are recognizing is they're waking up or they're saying, you know, I can only get like 50% from, from my partner of what I want or 60%. And many people are not satisfied as a result of that. But the 20% are looking at their partner. They're using all of these available tools we have. We have so much incredible data around how to have a successful relationship that if you are putting in the work and your partner is putting in the work, you can be more satisfied than ever, right? And so that's the reason why a small percentage are more satisfied. So part of the reason why that group is more satisfied than the average is because the average is not satisfied. So if you're in that, that sort of 80% of unsatisfied people in their relationships, is one solution to that to encourage or facilitate your partner in meeting their needs in other places? And I say this because my partner lived in Bali for two years and then I was living here. So there was this long distance relationship where there was, we wouldn't see each other sometimes for 60 days for two months, especially with the lockdowns and all that stuff. It was crazy. And then we got to that point in our relationship where we realized that one of us has to move if this relationship is going to work. So does she move to Bar- to London from Bali or do I move my life to Bali? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Which is super difficult. I say pretty hard. Pretty yeah, hard. yeah, yeah. It means I quit dragging down. I stop a podcast. It's like uh, my business is, I forget it. So, All for love. Yeah, but I, I knew that I could never ask her to, to move here. I could never do that. She had to make that decision for herself because I've seen the scenarios where there's resentment and all of these things and contempt. When you move, you... You, it's almost like you take on the responsibility of that person if you if you tell them to come to your to your neck of the woods. Yeah. And one of the first things I thought about was, I'm a busy person, and if she doesn't have a friendship group here, a purpose here, work here, then I'm going to be have to be the source of all of those things. Yes. And that's terrifying. Yes. And it, I'll tell you, for the first part of our relationship, when she'd moved here. I felt like I did have to be those things. Once she started her business here and the, her, with her business came a community and it came her, her own little tribe and her own sense of purpose. And I look over in the kitchen when I come back from work and she's on the laptop in the corner obsessed with her work. And 
I thought, God, I'll, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. that's what it must have, would have been like back in the day when you were talking about phase two of the history of relationships. Oh, oh yeah. I mean, th that, that's, that's the reason why it's, it's interesting why, I mean, to, to, to that original question of, of yours is that we are in such a complicated state right now because we all have different goals. You know, maybe in your relationship, you know, it all, it, it, it already sounds that you and your girlfriend are interested in self-actualization, right? Yeah, yeah. You, you, you want to flourish, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, of course you want to flourish, but some people may not want to flourish. If you go down Maslow's hierarchy of needs for some folks, it's just about belonging or it could be just about self-esteem or it could be just the safety. I just know I have someone with me and just the safety. So we, so we have these different needs. And I think that's why one of the most important things we can do for ourselves is to identify what is it that we want out of this world and then unapologetically go after it. Surround yourself with people who are going after it romantically, professionally, socially, you know, find your tribe uh, and that's where you'll thrive. All right, guys. Well, what do you think of that last one? Do you think people want more out of their partner nowadays? Are they more demanding? And damn, that was a lot of roles that he was bringing up. Do we have to fulfill all those roles? God, I hope not. If so, I am doomed because I could never be all those things to someone. Maybe at different times, I could put all those hats on, but not close together and consecutively and not too many at once. It's just, that is a lot. And is that what, I guess I'm curious. I don't know that I've felt that per se. And I certainly don't believe I expect that from my partners. Are you guys is that what your experience is? Are you getting that from your partners? Do you believe that some of those things that what he was saying about all the expectations you have on you to be all those things at once for your partner? Do you think that's true? Oh, gosh, I love my space and my autonomy. I have to have that balance. If I can't be a good partner and I can't lose, you know, personal space and time for myself, if I don't get that, like I said, it's just, I won't be able to have, give the other person what they need unless I have some of that myself. So lastly, I did find the points on moving particularly interesting at this point, you know, as I could be moving sometime in the future, this could be on the horizon for me. I don't know for sure. It is a constant topic between myself and someone else. And when you're essentially moving for someone, it's a big thing. Even if it means me moving back to California, where I'm from, or possibly moving somewhere else completely different altogether for them. But when you are picking up and moving, it does, there is some weight to it. It's definitely something to consider. I have been enjoying long distance relationships for quite a while now since I moved, especially since I moved to Florida from California. There is a part of me that would love to go back, but there's another part of me that doesn't know that's actually the best move for me. So you just, <laughs> you never know. I'm, 
I was really listening intently to what he said on that piece. And if there's anybody that's moved that was in long distance and they moved and it was a good outcome, you got to shoot me a voicemail. I want to know. Or if it was a bad outcome, you can shoot me a voicemail. I want to hear that too. I would love anybody's perspective that's been in this situation and how it went and what their best advice would be to either avoid making it a tragedy or the best advice to help making it a really good, solid experience. All right, guys. Well, that about wraps it up. I'm sure I don't need to tell you to go to the website, curiouscorddiaries.com and leave me a voicemail since I've already said that about five times in this episode. Did you guys get the memo that I love your voicemails? All right. Enough said. Everybody stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. Love you guys. Bye. Thanks so much for listening. And if you like what you hear, refer me to a friend and make sure you're following me on social media. Also, go to the website, thecuriousgirldiaries.com and join my subscribers only list for access to exclusive content. And as usual, questions or comments, you can always email me at curiousgirl at thecuriousgirldiaries.com.